you would, take out your Bibles and turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew, the last chapter, chapter 28. We're going to be looking at the last five verses this morning. As we turn to God's Word, let's turn to the author of His Word, God Himself, and ask His blessing in prayer. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we come before you now and we ask that you would speak to us through your word and by your spirit so that we would know what we are to believe about you and what duty you require of us. Father, open our hearts to your word and open your word to our hearts this morning. Father, bless the preaching of your word, bless the hearing of your word and bless the putting of your word into practice. For we pray and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, believe it or not, we are in the midst of a political season, a political debate season. Uh, You'd have to be probably on another planet right now not to realize that in You may have heard in debates this idea of big government, small government, more government, less government. You know, more government's the answer to the problem. No, less government is the answer to the problem. Well, there's government, of course, in the world, in civil society, but there's also government in the church. And the real issue, both in the civic sphere as well as the church sphere, is not big government, small government, less government, more government, but rather good government, biblically sound and spiritually healthy church government is a blessing in the lives of God's people because Jesus Christ rules and governs His church for His own glory and for the present and everlasting good of His people. The end of church government, as we will see next week, is peace. And we saw that, of course, already in Isaiah chapter 9 and in Colossians 1, where Jesus is the ruler, He's the king, He's the boss. And we've seen already how Jesus as king, nonetheless, says He's also the shepherd of His people and the servant of His people. And we have elders and we have deacons that display that marvelous ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, a ministry of both rule and service. Now children, for the next couple of minutes I may need your help because we're going to look at things that go together. We're going to start off with the category of food and children you can participate. Macaroni and cheese, spaghetti and meatballs, biscuits and Gravy, chicken and dumplings. You guys are good. Eggs and bacon. Okay, now let's move on to some people, things, people that go together. Fred Astaire and Ginger Rogers, Laurel and Hardy, Ozzy and Harriet, Laverne and Shirley, Sonny and Cher, Starsky and Hutch, Batman and Robin, Jack and Jill. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, yes. How about things, black and white, cause and effect, yes, trial and 
error. Wow. Supply and needle and thread, hammer and nails, cup and saucer, pen and pencil, paper, and church government and the Great Commission. Church government and the Great Commission. Now, you may be thinking, what on earth are you talking about? Well, stay with me. At worst, church government and the Great Commission are contradictory, kind of an oxymoron, you know, an open secret, a minor crisis jumbo shrimp. At best, these are not related to each other and therefore a non sequitur. They do not follow each other. They are irrelevant to each other. But I hope as we've been seeing, church government is not mundane or peripheral. It's not on the outside edges, but rather it's front and center. It's important. It matters. Why? Because what a church does, its ministry, and how a church is led, its government, cannot be separated. Representative church government, in other words, Presbyterian church government, is not only biblically consistent, but also it's extremely practical in providing not only for the leadership of the church, but also an orienting framework for the ministry of the church. And as we've been saying, it helps protect the church from anarchy on the one side to tyranny on the other. We're going to take a look now at this relationship between the government of the church to the mission of the church by considering these last five verses in Matthew's gospel, commonly known as the Great Commission. Join with me now as I read Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, in order to demonstrate the essential relationship between church government and the Great Commission, as well as to be convinced of the absolute importance of biblically sound and spiritually healthy church government for the carrying out of the church's mission, that is the Great Commission, we're going to consider three aspects found in our text. And as we do, never underestimate the ability of the Word of God when applied by the Spirit of God to change our minds and deepen our understanding of an appreciation for God's design. Let's take a look at the context, the call, and the comfort of the commission. First, the context of the commission, verses 16 through 18, but primarily 18 as we will see. Here we are in the post-resurrection time of Jesus, and here we are on a mountain in Galilee. Think with me for a moment about mountains in Matthew's gospel. You've got the Sermon on the Mount 
beginning in chapter 5, that declares life in the kingdom. And in chapter 17, you have the Mount of Transfiguration, where Jesus is revealed for who He really is. And here is the Mount of Commission, announcing an ongoing worldwide mission for Jesus' followers, His disciples, His church. Notice what happens when people see Jesus. They worship Him. The immediate and ongoing response to seeing Jesus, to being in His presence, is worship. When people meet Jesus, they cannot but worship Him. And yet we see doubt, right? But some doubt it. It's not the ordinary word Scripture uses for doubt, but it's, it says... That, It's in the same case as when Peter walked on the water. It's not so much disbelief, but it's rather hesitation. It wasn't immediate. There was a hesitation. You see, Jesus' resurrection didn't immediately transform little faith. It didn't immediately clear up limited understanding. That would take place when the Holy Spirit was given on the day of Pentecost. But here we go now into verse 18, where Jesus came and said to them, Jesus is speaking and says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The primary context for the commission is not the mountain. It's the authority of Jesus. All authority. His earthly ministry was not less authoritative. But now the spheres in which he exercises his absolute authority are enlarged. The Son has become the one in whom the authority of the Father is now mediated. Jesus, as you know, came to be served. But now he will be served. His suffering is now being followed by His glory. The glory of His resurrection soon. It will be the glory of His ascension and the glory of His reign in heaven from on high. Here, followers can be assured and have confidence because all authority has been given to Jesus that the Lord is in control, is in sovereign control of all Things, as Paul writes in Romans 8, right? All things work together for the good because Jesus is in charge of all things. Jesus Christ, He's the head, He's the ruler, He's the king of His church. He's in charge. He declares all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The authority of Jesus, therefore, provides the context for the call that Jesus is about to give His 11 disciples, His 11 apostles. And those apostles would be the foundation upon which the church would be built, as Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 20. So let's move now from the context of the commission, Jesus' authority, to the call of the commission. The call to make disciples of Jesus. Now let's first take a look and and say a few words about what the commission, the Great Commission, does not mean 
Because I believe there's still some confusion among people today. Some people think this so-called Great Commission is only applicable to serious Christians. You know, real disciples, not just believers. In other words, kind of this two-tiered aspect of the Christian life. Well, this commission, this call only applies to those who are serious. Well, my friends, I hope we have heard already from the readings that that uh, all believers have a serious call to a, to quote an old book, a holy and devout life of following the Lord, obeying the Lord. Some people think that the Great Commission is just telling people about Jesus, preaching the gospel, growing the church. Well, to be sure, the Great Commission assumes all of these, but it goes deeper. So what does the Great Commission mean? Make disciples. Make disciples. Any of you who have done any serious study on this know that um, the, the folks that like to, to, to look at the text deeply see that the main verb is to make disciples. And what's a disciple? It's a learner. It's a learner. And it's to make disciples, to lead believers to a maturity in the faith. As Peter writes at the end of his second letter, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He does not say stand still in the grace, but grow. Make it more your own. Grow deeper in understanding and appreciation. Make disciples. Going, making disciples. There is a, um, a for those of you that like English, it's a participle with er, um, imperatival sense. In other words, it's, it's not a verb, but it acts like a verb. Go. It's intentional and purposeful. It's not simply waiting. To be sure, we heard in our call to worship, those who wait on the Lord, right? There is a call to wait on the Lord. This is not the time to wait. This is the time to go. And to go do what? Baptize. Marking entrance into the visible church, either following a profession of faith in the case of adults or shortly after birth in the case of covenant children born to believing parents. To go baptizing and to go teaching, to observe all that Jesus commanded. The focus is on the commands of Jesus. A disciple is a learner. And this is a call to bring people to Jesus to listen, to learn, and to practice. I uh, was going through my study and came across a Table Talk magazine from April of 2014. And here's the subject, the Great Commission. And in it, on pages 14, excuse me, 16 and 17, is a short article called Make Disciples. And I'll just read a couple of sentences from this article. A disciple is a learner from the Lord Jesus. A learner is a listener and a practitioner. The Great Commission is a command to bring people to Jesus to listen, learn, and practice. Disciples are made through the ministry of the Word entrusted to the church, including preaching, teaching, evangelism, and counseling. The Word makes disciples, and Christ makes disciples through the Word. Making disciples is preeminently the responsibility of the church. 
Notice the order. Baptism and teaching. The baptism is the recognition of what God has done or will do. And the teaching is follows baptism. The recognition of what God has done followed by what we are to do. And we see that in the Great Commission. The call to make disciples. The central mission of the church. Now to be sure, what are we doing here? We're gathered to worship. And in worshiping God, we grow in knowing and giving glory to Him for who He is. And we want other people to know what we have been given. We want people to to be rescued like we have. We want people to be new creations like we are. We gather to worship. And then we scatter, as it were, to get the word out. The word out about Jesus. Disciples are those who hear, who listen, who understand and obey Jesus' teaching. Read the four Gospels. Read especially Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And see if you can find anywhere where someone who is following Jesus is not called to put into practice what Jesus has said to do. It's just not there. Disciples believe and obey. They know Jesus. They know doctrine. But they also follow Him. They live a life that reflects that. They are with Jesus. They are for Jesus. And over time, my friends, they become like Jesus. Lots of people want to be like Jesus without ever considering that you've got to be with Jesus. And how are you with Jesus? Through His Word. Through prayer. In the context of His people. Whether it's one-on-one over at a coffee table somewhere. Or whether it's here on the Lord's Day. And notice. Make disciples of all nations. All nations, all people without distinction. Did you hear Psalm 67? Did you hear it? The vision of Israel to be a light to the nations, to be um, uh, the hope for the nations. The church is the hope and light for the nations. And that's what's so great about grace and peace is the doors of this church are open to any and all in whom God is at work. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter where, uh, how much money is in the bank. It doesn't matter what you look like. It's open. It, God is the God of all nations, all people without distinction. Now notice the role, the biblical role that the church government plays. Because this commission is given to who? The church. The church, it's all plural. You all go. Y'all go. Y'all baptize. Y'all teach. I guess that's why the South is kind of the Bible belt, right? They get it. Y'all, not you guys. But it's given to the church. The church, not individuals. And we have in the church elders and deacons who represent, who represent the fullness of Jesus' ministry as shepherd and servant. Elders as shepherds know, feed, lead, and protect the sheep by declaring or teaching the gospel. Deacons as servants lead by demonstrating the gospel. In particular, showing mercy. Showing 
mercy. The great commandment for disciples, for the church of course, is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. The great commission, in other words, is to put the great commandment into practice so that more and more people can be in the position to hear and embrace and live out the great commandment. Now, these are all encompassing demands of the Great Commission. I mean, did you all hear that? All nations, all that Jesus commanded, and they flow from the supreme authority of Jesus. He has all authority. I mean, that's a lot of alls in there, isn't it? And yet Jesus doesn't just speak of his authority, he speaks of his presence. And it's his presence that, that provides the comfort of the commission. So let's look now at the last part of verse 20, the comfort of the commission. You know, as I was thinking about this, uh, it wasn't so much the great commission that I was thinking about. I was thinking about the great impossible commission. Not only the call itself, but to obey all. But Matthew ends, because Jesus ends, not with a command, but with a promise. The promise of Jesus, the, the presence, <coughs> the comforting presence of Jesus. I don't know about you all, but taken in isolation, this task may create in us great fear of the task itself, of people, of being alone. But Jesus provides assurance. Because this really is just the other bookend of Matthew. In Matthew 1.28, we hear these words, And you shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Jesus is saying, I'm still with you, and I always will be with you. Always, literally, all the days, or the whole of every day. We've been saying, of course, that there's a danger in the home, right? You always do this. You never do that. But whether it's parents or children or spouses. But here, my friends, always is good and great news. Because Jesus Christ is always present by His Holy Spirit. God has promised to especially be present when His people, His church, gather for worship. Let me ask you all this. Are you eager to be where God has promised to be? If you had to say this, is your life one of running from God or running to God? Are you trying to find the places where you think God can't see, can't be involved? Or rather, are you by the grace that He gives you, eager to be where God has promised to be. 
and look again at the role that biblical church government plays. Elders and deacons do what? They lead the church in repentance and faith. And in doing so, they provide leadership for disciple-making disciples. Years ago, I would be with people and they said they led so-and-so to Christ and they led so-and-so to Christ. And I immediately, in my sinful flesh, sized them up and said, arrogant, arrogant, arrogant. I've changed my mind. Because we really are called to lead people to Christ. We lead them to Christ and He does the work. He does the saving. He does the conviction of sin, the... um, Uh, the comfort of assurance of forgiveness of sin, and he does the calling. We are called to lead people to Christ. This church is called to lead people to not ourselves, not to our programs or our great ministry. We're called to lead people to Jesus, to the faithful one, to the one who keeps his promises. Our mission, as you know, is to call people to worship. To call people to worship. The Great Commission is all about Jesus. His authority. To be sure we have a responsibility. But at the heart and soul it's about Him. His authority. His command to make disciples. And His presence. Well are you convinced by now that that there are some things that cannot but go together? Back in 1955, in a TV special, Frank Sinatra starred in called Our Town. He sang this song with these words. Love and marriage, love and marriage, go together like a horse and carriage. This, I tell you, brother, you can't have one without the other. Well, the Great Commission needs biblically sound and spiritually healthy church government. Why? Because the Great Commission is a mission The mission of the church, not the individual believer in isolation. The church needs to be led and cared for. And the church's mission in discipleship is essentially the call to live a life of love. A love of God and a love of neighbor. And a biblically sound and spiritually healthy church government encourages and equips all of us with both an increasing desire as well as increasing ability to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And so the Great Commission, my friends, sets both the outward direction for the church as well as the inward agenda of the church. It sets the outward direction in that, yes, we do go to the nations, but we also have an agenda of making disciples here. People that are learning to love the Lord, to obey all that the Lord has said. God, through the gospel, doesn't just call us into the church without also sending us out into the world. And my friends, we go toward others Because God in Christ went toward us. And He didn't only go toward us, He found us. And when He found us, He saved us. 
brothers and sisters, church government, and the Great Commission. You just can't have one without the other. Let's pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you for these words which you have seen fit to preserve for your people to read and to believe and to read and to put into practice. And Father, the task is truly beyond us because it's a task that causes us to, to be absolutely dependent upon you. Father, Jesus is so right when he said, apart from him, we can do nothing. And so, Father, would you be pleased to give us a growing recognition of our dependence upon Jesus and our desire to, uh, to not run from that dependence, but to embrace it. And oh, Father, as we look at this daunting call, may we also look to this amazing comfort that you have promised to be with us always to the end of the age. Oh, Father, help us individually as families and a church be delighted to live in your presence. We have trouble in the world, but in Christ we have peace. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. We need all authority.